Uh, I was nervous there just a little bit. <laughs> she is dignified, <laughs> and I am thankful. Well, good morning, everyone. It's so good to see you here this morning on this rainy Texas morning. Always makes, I think, all of us feel like we want to go back to bed when it's days like this, but I'm glad you're here. We've been doing a series around here that we're calling Frequency, and we've been talking about how that when it comes to hearing God's voice, we need to put ourselves into a position where we tune into the voice of the Lord, because God is speaking, everybody. He still speaks, and he is speaking to you, he speaks to me, he's speaking to us, and so the only question is, are you tuning into the right frequency? That's what we've been talking about here through this series. I want to look at this in Romans chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, or you can follow along the screen as well. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are sons of God. One of the chief characteristics of being a son or daughter of God is that you are being led by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's your birthright as a child of God to be led by the Spirit of God. This isn't something that's just reserved for some extraordinary or elite people who somehow, some way, have a deeper relationship with God. That's not what this is about. If you're a child of God, a son or a daughter of God, then it is your birthright. It is your right to be able to hear from the Spirit of God and to be led by the Spirit of God, which means if you're not, if you're not being able to hear the voice of the Lord, then there's something wrong. And I think one of the major reasons why so many people aren't being led by the Spirit of God or aren't hearing the voice of God is that we just don't understand how God speaks. We don't understand the practical ways that He speaks to us. And so, yes, God can speak to you through a dream. Yes, God can speak to you through a vision. Yes, He can speak to you by using His booming voice. Yes, He can write on the wall in, in your house directions for your life. These are all ways that God has spoken throughout the, throughout the thousands of years when we read about in our, in our Bible. But really, these are more of the extraordinary ways that He speaks to people. There are a little bit more practical ways that he tends to speak to most of us. And so what I want to do here this morning over the course of the next couple of weeks is to give you some of the common ways, I think, that God speaks into our lives so that you can know how to identify his voice. And probably the most common way that he speaks to us and he leads us is through the inward witness. The inward witness. Look at this in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. It says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline the words, bears witness. Those words, bear witness, in the original Greek language is the word sumartureo, which means to corroborate, to corroborate. In the English language, the meaning of the words to bear witness means to give evidence to. And so I want you to think about this, because what does it mean? Why, why, does, why does something need to be corroborated? Why do we need to give evidence to something? Well, think about a court of law and how that works in a court of law because you give evidence to a statement that's already been made. In other words, your honor, my client, could not have committed this crime. Why? Because he wasn't in this city at the same time that this crime was committed. And so to give evidence means to back something up that's already been stated. That's what a witness is. And so here in this passage, the Apostle Paul is describing for us that the Holy Spirit, he gives witness 
to our lives. And there are a couple of things you need to know about this inward witness. Number one, the inward witness is a response. It's a response. In other words, the Holy Spirit is giving us a response to something that's out there, something that you're planning, something that you're talking about, something that you're, t- you're stating. This is not something that is initially done by yourself. It has to be a plan. There has to be an idea. There has to be an action. There has to be something that you're moving forward on for the Holy Spirit then to give you a response, a witness for or a witness against. Don't go in that direction. So there has to be an action that the Holy Spirit responds to. The second thing about the inner witness is that it's not really a feeling. It's not really a feeling. The inner witness is so much more than a feeling. I think this is really important to understand because so many people are just being led by their feelings. We get a feeling here, we get a feeling there, and we say, this must be God because I feel this way. But the inner witness is much more than a feeling. It's much deeper than that. The inner witness is this confident knowing on the inside. It's this deep knowing inside of you that's not really a feeling. It's deeper than a feeling. Look at how this works. I'm going to show you an example of this in Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 6. It says this, now, when they had gone through Fergie in the region of Galatia, they were, for, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they had tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man in Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, I want you to notice in this passage how many places the Apostle Paul and his team tried to go to. There are six different places they actually tried to go to. They tried to go to Phrygia, Galatia, Asia, Mysia, Troas, and then eventually Macedonia. But each time here, I want you to notice that they get a response from the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about what's going on for them because the Apostle Paul and his team, they weren't just sitting around twiddling their thumbs, waiting for God to throw something down from heaven into their lap to show them as to what they were to to do or where they were to go. That's not what they were doing. They weren't just sitting still. They were following the general instructions that God had already given them. Remember in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus had said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so go therefore and make the disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This was Jesus' commission to all believers. And so the Apostle Paul and his team, they were already doing it. That's what they were doing. They were going out and trying to preach the gospel to these different nations. In addition, even more specifically, In Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul had received this call to go preach to the Gentiles specifically, not just to the Jews where everybody else was going, but to the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 13, verse 2 and 3, it talks about this. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul, that is Paul, for the work to which I have called them. And having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and they sent them away. This was the Apostle Paul's 
commission into this very specific ministry of going and preaching to the Gentile people. And so that's what the Apostle Paul and his team were doing. They were following these general instructions that God had already given them. And as a result, they were heading toward Asia. But God didn't want them to go to Asia. There was another part of the world that was more receptive to the gospel than Asia Minor was there at that time. The northern part of Greece, that is Macedonia, was ripe for the gospel. Now, I want you to think about this because this is true Today, as it was back then, there are different parts of the world that are more open to the gospel and more receptive to the gospel, and there's, there's different parts of the world that are really closed and hostile towards the, towards the gospel. According to missiologists today, the countries that are the greatest challenge or are the hardest or the closed, most closed to the gospel today are India and North Africa, Middle East, and Europe, just to name a few. These are some of the hardest countries to bring the gospel to. On the other hand, the countries that are the greatest hope and the most open to the gospel are China and Turkey and Iraq and South Sudan, just to name a few. These are some of the, the nations in the world that are the most receptive to the gospel today. And so here with the Apostle Paul, he didn't have a missiologist telling him and informing him of all the countries that were the most receptive to the gospel, but he had God. And God knew the difference of the different areas in the world that were more receptive and the ones that were more closed. And Asia Minor at that time was not that receptive to the gospel, but the people of Macedonia were ripe for harvest. Look at verse 7. It says, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. If you're taking notes, underlying that last phrase. But the Spirit did not permit them. See, the Apostle Paul and his team, they were moving forward to where they thought they were supposed to go. They were responding to the general voice of God and what he had already said, but the Holy Spirit kept stopping them at each one of these five different places that they tried to go to. Now, when the Holy Spirit witnesses against something, we commonly call that a check, a check. It's not necessarily a word that's used in Scripture. It's just a word that we commonly use today in our language. I have a check in my spirit. It means a block. It's kind of like a checkmate. I feel like I'm not supposed to do this. I feel like I'm not supposed to go there. And it's more than a feeling, like I already said. This is this deep, really strong sense inside of you that this is not what I'm supposed to do. It's like going down um, Highway 71 and, and hitting a red light all of a sudden. You're heading down a path, and then a red light happens. That's like that check inside of you. You're moving forward, and then you have this check or this red light inside of you. But I want you to notice here from the Apostle Paul that it's a response. It's a response to movement in his life. In other words, if the Apostle Paul hadn't made this plan, he wouldn't have had this check. If he hadn't been moving forward, he wouldn't have encountered this red light. But because he was going to do this because he started moving forward this in this direction. Then the, the Holy Spirit gave him this check in his spirit. See, one of the things I think it's important for all of us to understand, and I think we can learn from the Apostle Paul, is that we don't always know what we're supposed to do. Come on, how many know that to be the case? We don't always know what we're supposed to do. We don't always know where we're supposed to go. 
And so what's so important about when you look at this Apostle Paul is that he was right there with us. We don't always know what we're supposed to do. And that's why sometimes you got to experiment a little bit. Sometimes you got to take a step forward in something. You got to test the water. You got to knock on the door just a little bit. I mean, I don't know how it works for you, but when I go in a clothing store to pick out a shirt for myself, I can't just see it on a rack and say, yeah, that's the one. I mean, I got to try it on. I got to look at myself. I got to feel it on. I got to see how it fits before I buy. Well, it's very similar in, in, in terms of life because God leads us in different ways. And as soon as you think you have him figured out, he'll lead you in another way. Because this life with God is all about faith, not formula, faith, where we engage with him. And so sometimes God is going to tell you right up front what you're supposed to do. He's going to drop it in your heart that this is what you're supposed to do. This is where you're supposed to go. This is the job you're supposed to get. This is the person you're supposed to hire. This is the house you're supposed to buy. Sometimes he'll speak those things ahead of time. But you know what? Other times he doesn't. He doesn't let you know ahead of time. And sometimes he uses then this inward witness then to a response of a step that you're taking. And so for the Apostle Paul, he knows how to hear from God. He knows how to hear from God, but God's not been telling him specifically where to go. Do you see that? He doesn't know specifically he's following the general instruction, and he's trying to go to these five different places, but he doesn't know specifically. So what does he do? He just simply does what he knows to do. He simply is just obedient to what God has already said. And so he's going, he's out there, and he's trying to preach the gospel to these different Gentile people groups that are around his area. And each time in those five different areas, the Holy Spirit said, mm, nope. He gets a check in his spirit, nope. The Holy Spirit, so in other words, it says the Holy Spirit did not permit him. He gets this check in his spirit, this red light, don't go that direction. And so the Apostle Paul, he finally gets to a point where he's done everything he knows to do. He's knocked on all the doors he knows to knock on, and so now he's kind of on hold. He's at a, stand, a standstill here, and then notice what happens. Verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, for whatever reason, the Apostle Paul had these preconceived ideas of where they were to go. And we all do that, don't we? We all have our preconceived ideas, our, our biases, our prejudices, our own opinions of what we think we should do. This is the same thing with Apostle Paul. He had these preconceived ideas of where he thought God wanted him to go. And that's why he tries these different locations. But at each one of these five different locations, the Holy Spirit said, mm -mm, nope, not there. Not there, but then one night he has this dream and he sees this man from Macedonia saying, come over here, come help us. And the Bible says the Apostle Paul and his team, they, they immediately respond to it and conclude that the Lord has called them to go to Macedonia. Now I want to illustrate a little bit what was going on here because I think it's important that you see a picture of this. So let's say, Alan, would you stand up please? Let's say Alan and Tabitha they finally invite Courtney and I over to their house for dinner. And since they haven't done it yet, he has to give us, he has to give us directions. And so he writes his directions down on a piece of paper because he's old school and not very technologically advanced. And so he writes it down on a piece of paper 
to give so that we know exactly how to get to his house. But before he gives us this piece of paper with the directions on it, he tears it into pieces. Just a bunch of pieces. He tears it into a bunch of pieces. And so now this map, this direction that he has for us that we need to be able to get to his house are now in all of this piece form. Now, I don't know why Alan is doing this. I mean, he could just have given me the directions, just handed them to me, but he doesn't. He tears them up in pieces. So what am I supposed to do? If I'm going to get to his house, then what do I need to do? I need to take the pieces, right? I need to take the pieces, and then I need to put them together to see the directions that I'm going to need to be able to get to his house. All right, give him a hand, would you please? Love on him just a little bit. Now, I want you to see that as a picture of what God does with us so many different times. So many different times, God will give you directions in peace form. He'll give you the different pieces. Now, let me just make a statement here that you need to understand. Because he's not doing this to make it hard on you. He's not doing this to confuse you. He's not doing this to make this difficult for you. There's a really important reason why God gives us direction in life in peace form. Look at this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory. For none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Now listen to what the Apostle Paul is describing here, because he's describing that if God would have put in the Bible exactly when and exactly where Jesus was going to be born and exactly what Jesus was going to accomplish, the devil would have been there right at the beginning to kill the baby Jesus. But here's the thing. The devil didn't know. The devil didn't know what God was, was doing there, and so he ended up playing into the hands of God. By crucifying Jesus, the devil ended up saving the world. Think about that. There were demon spirits that were behind the mob that were crying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And those demon spirits had no idea that they were nailing their own coffin shut. They had no idea what was going on. See, if the devil knew what God was doing, he would do everything he could to get in the way of God's people to be able to stop what it is that they were supposed to do. Let me make it more personal. If the devil knew what God was going to do in your and through your life, the devil would be there every time to thwart, to steal, to kill, to destroy you so that you would not be able to fulfill God's call on your life. But he doesn't know. The devil doesn't know God's plans. And so he, just like he did with Jesus, he'll, he's afraid, he's worried that just as he experienced with Jesus that his attack on your life or on my life might set forth the this, this stream of events to take place that would actually backfire on him. Because here's the thing. God hides the good stuff from the devil and from wicked people. God hides his will from the devil and from wicked people, but he wants to reveal it to us. I love that, don't you? 
I love that, that aspect of God. And so every time you see things in peace form, understand God's hiding his will from wicked people and the devil so that the enemy can't get in there and destroy what he is doing. Verse 10 says, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. See, Apostle Paul says, even though God's hiding these things from natural and wicked people and from the devil, God wants to reveal his plan to you and to me. That's his heart. He wants to show you things that are to come. He wants to show you things about your life. But in order to do that, I need to be able to walk in the Spirit. I need to take a step of faith. And there's some times where I'm going to have to gather the different pieces and to see what it is that God is doing. And this is exactly what was going on with Apostle Paul. He didn't know exactly what God was doing, and so he was gathering pieces. Am I supposed to go here? Mm-mm. Am I supposed to go here? Mm-mm. Am I supposed to go here? Mm-mm. He did this five times. All the time, he's still trying to be faithful with what God has already told him to do. But each time, the Holy Spirit, nope, 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 here. When we do that, then we, this is what it means to walk um, with this inward with. This is one of the most the dominant ways that God will lead you. Now, I want to give you an Old Testament example of this. I think they'll help you see it even more clearly. Look at this in 1 Samuel chapter 23, starting in verse 9. It says, when David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was, it was told Saul that David had escaped Keilah, so he halted the expedition. This is, this is an incredible picture. It's a great picture of the witness of the Holy Spirit and how God would lead the Israelites in the Old Testament. But to understand this, you've got to remember it's quite a bit different than for you and for me because remember in the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't come yet, and so the presence of God wasn't with people. It couldn't be because God's holiness and man's sinfulness do not mingle. And so because Jesus hadn't yet come to pay for our sins, the presence of God was only in one place in the entire world. It was in the temple in a little place called the Holy of Holies. That's where his, his presence was. And so if you or me, if we lived back then, if anybody needed direction from God, we would have to go to the great high priest. And the great high priest wore what was called an ephod or these garments around him. And they had what was called this breastplate that was then put on top of his ephod. So he wore this breastplate that had the different stones representing of the different tribes of Israel. And behind this breastplate was a pouch. And in this pouch were two stones. One was called an Urim, and the other one was called the Thummim. And in these, these stones represented the yes and the no from God. And so if you wanted direction, you'd go to the great high priest and you would ask him a question. So this is what David was doing in this verse. David seeking the direction of the Lord for his life. What are you supposed to do? Look at verse 12 again. It says, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? Notice it's a yes or no question. 
That's all they were able to get are yes and no questions presented to the Lord. And so he presented that to the high, the high priest. And what the high priest would then do is he would reach behind his, that breastplate, what I just showed you, and God would then direct his, what he was going to pull out to be able to answer the question. And so here, David asks the question here, are these men going to deliver me into Saul's hand? The high priest reaches his hand in there, and he pulls out the Urim, which was the affirmative. Yes, these men will turn you over to Saul's hand. And so David then had the answer to his question. This is a picture of the New Testament child of God. Because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, now the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God, resides inside you. It's in you. And so you have a spiritual Urim, the yes, and a spiritual thumum, which is a no, where the Holy Spirit will say in affirmative, yes, this is the way to go, or no, stop, check, red light. You have the Holy Spirit in you that will now do that for you. In other words, the Holy Spirit will bear witness for you that this is what you're supposed to do, or the Holy Spirit will give you a check in your spirit, a red light, don't go that direction. This is why, in order to get direction from God, more times than not, You've got to start moving forward. Because remember, this inward witness is a response. And so many times and so many people are just sitting there waiting for God to drop something into our lap. Instead of start with what God has already said. This is why last week's message was so important. You need to know what the Word of God says. You need to know, that's why read your Bible to understand what he's already told us to do because that gives you the general instruction. And then take a step in that direction and then wait to see how the Holy Spirit responds to this. So I want to give you a statement here that I want you to write down and I want you to remember as you're seeking God. And the statement is this, learn to explore without commitment. Learn to explore without commitment commitment. And what that means is you need to check things out before you make your final commitment to that. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not talking against commitment, by the way. We need to be committed people. That's not what I'm talking about here. But what I'm suggesting to you here this morning is that you need to check things out before you make your conclusion. You need to check things out before you make your final commitment here. So learn to explore without making your final commitment, which means this. Anytime that you're being forced to have to make a decision quickly, anytime something seems to come completely out of the blue that you're not prepared for, if you make a quick decision, you're going to end up more times than not making a mistake. Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16 says this, whoever believes will not act hastily. Can we say that verse out loud together here? Say it with me. Whoever believes will not act hastily. You need to say it again so you can get it inside. You say it with me again. Whoever believes will not act hastily. How many of you have been pressured to do things on the spur of the moment? It's, it, a lot of times it's a marketing tactic for a lot of people. We'll use that to try to get people to respond, you know, because people know that they can get you in this moment, you'll make a decision, but if you give a person time, they probably won't go ahead and do that. And so there's a whole marketing and advertising um, plan that's geared to address this issue that most people will not honor. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Listen, 
If somebody's pushing you to make a decision quickly, don't do it. Because here's the thing. Again, one of the most common ways the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you and lead you is that as you take a step, you need to wait to hear a response from the Spirit of God. And so if you're walking hastily, and so many of us tend to be bulldozers in life, we get something in our head and we just start bulldozing head forward. If you do that, you're going to miss. You're not going to hear the Holy Spirit and his reaction to that. You need just a little bit of time to present it to God. Take a step forward and let him give you that urum thurum type of experience where it's this yes, move forward, uh, don't. Stop right where you are. All of us need that type of experience. And even if things happen quickly, and I know, so according I know this firsthand, Things can happen very quickly when you're walking in the will of God. But if that's the case, he'll always prepare you. He'll give you an inkling ahead of time before you get there. When Courtney and I lived in Mississippi, we had gone down to Mississippi. We were there for a couple of years, and we'd gone there to help a really good friend of ours who was pastoring a church and had just gone through a horrific um, previous five years with the church and was burnt out, ready to quit. And he asked if we'd come down and help him. And so we did. We left everything in Colorado and moved down to Mississippi and and uh, it ha- that whole move happened very quickly for us. And um, when we were down in Mississippi, though, he went on sabbatical, and we um, led the church all the time that he was out. And thankfully, when he got back from his sabbatical, he was really, really healthy and ready to re-engage in the church. But when he came back, I knew that we either needed to figure out a way to co-pastor this church together, because the church I knew had become loyal to me during, the- during his absence. And I knew we were going we to have a problem. There was going to be division in the ranks there if something didn't happen. So either we had to figure out a way to co-pastor this church, or we, Courtney and I, we needed to get out of the way. And so when he came back and he was healthy, we, we had this whole conversation with him. He wanted to go back the way it was, which is completely fine. This was his church. But we knew that meant for us that we needed to get out of there probably as quickly as possible. And I remember, I, I probably shared this story before with you. I remember sitting on our front porch of our Mississippi house, a big wraparound porch, in a rocking chair, um, sipping sweet tea is what you do down there in South Mississippi. It's, it's just a thing. And I remember God just speaking something into my heart, and we'll talk about this in two weeks, just that whole inner voice. God just dropped this thought in my heart that there are pockets in the United States that are being unreached, and pastors, for whatever reason, are not going there. Will you go? And uh, God just used that to open up my willingness to go really anywhere in the United States. And so Courtney and I started asking the question, okay, so where should we go? Where could we go? After living in South Mississippi, we realized there were probably better parts of the United States that would match who we were after living in that culture for that period of time. And so we literally, we took a map of the United States and we highlighted every state that we thought in the natural would be a good pairing for who we were and just what was inside of us. And so we had a map that was on our wall with the different states that we had highlighted that we thought would be a good pairing. And then we said the question, we had four really small um, age kids at the time. And so the question was, okay, what type of city do we want to live in? And we concluded that we wanted to live in a city of 100,000 or less as our kids were really small. We wanted to raise them more in a small, a small community during that time. And and so now we had kind of a, more of a, a general sense of states and the types of cities. The next day, the Hattiesburg newspaper put a huge article in there that was a, that the article was 100, uh, 100 cities, the most pop, the, was it? The best, the, the 100 best cities of populations of 100,000 and less. <laughs> and so we took the highlighter again in every state 
that we, we, we highlighted every city that were in the states that we had highlighted. All this time, I was looking for different pastoral opportunities in those different states. And would you know that there were five um, cities on that list that were looking for pastors in those cities? And so we applied for those five. Immediately, one of the cities um, and churches in the, in the city um, called us and said, would you come and, and interview and do this thing? It happened to be number 23 on the list. It was Whitewater, Wisconsin. And so we went to Wisconsin with this. We're moving forward. Looks like God is doing something here. And so we're looking, trying to see if God can continue to say yes, or is there going to be a check in our spirit at any time? And through each meeting that we went to, there was a yes. Each meeting we went to, each conversation, there was a yes. There were no checks to the point when they made their vote, the congregation made their vote and for the affirmative for us. We just knew. This was, this was, we didn't have to look at the other four. God had opened this door, and this felt exactly right. We were there only there four days. And during that time, the, we realized, okay, we're moving here. We put a contract on a house while we were there, came back, put our house for sale in Hattiesburg, and 30 days later, we were driving out of the city of Hattiesburg. That's how fast it went. When God does something fast, he prepares you for it. You see? There's a lot of, what I just, an example I just showed you, there's a lot of different things that were important because in that, we didn't just sit around. Even after God dropped something in our heart about pastoring in, a, in an area that was unreached, we just didn't sit around and wait for that to happen. We started looking. We started looking at the different pieces. And as those pieces came together, it became more and more obvious. Now, I don't know how it is with you, but I think I would prefer it to be easier. I mean, I, I would prefer for God to tell me in advance things. I would prefer it if I could wake up every morning and know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I mean, I would rather have it that when I woke up, that on my wall right in front of me, God would have written during the night the decision for everything I need to know for that day and for things that are coming up probably for the next five years. Uh, that's how I would prefer it. And, and the reality is sometimes God does that. Sometimes he does show you things in advance. Sometimes he does speak those, that directly to you, but sometimes he doesn't which means when he's not speaking those things in advance, then that means I got to be willing to do my part. I got to take those steps. I got to assemble these pieces. I've got to look, and then I got to be able to wait to see what, how God responds to this. Now, one more thing here as we finish this morning, because I think this is important as well, and that is you've got to learn to follow this inward witness by faith. <laughs> you can't ever take faith out of this mix because there's going to be times that you're approaching something, you're moving forward in something, and all natural reasoning should suggest, yes, this is a good decision for you. Walk this way. Everything in the natural seems to line up, but for some reason, you're getting this check in your spirit that says, no, don't go there. Don't do that. And there you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to trust God that even though it looks good for you, or you can trust him and honor that check in your spirit, or you're going to bulldoze your way through it. Let me just say, you better honor this check in your spirit because God's warning you for things you can't yet see. You may not know for it, and that's why you're going to have to do it by faith. When Courtney and I were first married, um, we decided that we didn't want to rent anymore. We were going to buy uh, someplace, and we didn't know exactly the process of doing that, like any young couple. But a friend of ours, they had bought a townhouse, and we thought, well, that might be a good idea. Let's buy a townhouse, too. And they were building a bunch of new townhouses in the area of Colorado Springs where we lived in. And so we went in just to kind of check things out. 
But in the process of checking things out, the ball started rolling pretty quick. And all of a sudden, we weren't just checking things out. All of a sudden, they were putting us into a specific model when a time when it would be completed to all of a sudden we were sitting down and we were signing contracts on a, a new townhouse that we were supposedly buying. It happened so fast for us. When we left there, contract in hand that this townhouse was being built for us, it was like, what just happened? <laughs> what just happened? And it was the first time that we were able, as a couple, to have to walk through a situation like this. And when we were finally able just to talk and be honest, both of us had a check in our spirit. But we kept moving forward because this is what you do. <laughs> she wasn't speaking up. I wasn't speaking up. And it wasn't until we got in the car and we got home and realized, this is, I don't know what this is about, but we're not supposed to do this. We talked about it, we prayed about it all night, still felt the same way the next morning. I got on the phone, and I did everything I could to get out of that contract. Thankfully, we were able to get out of the contract. I don't know what God was warning us against. I don't know that answer. I do know that another house about six months later, we put a contract in, and we bought that house, and it was fantastic. It, it, it was great. We were talking about this whole thing with our staff this last week, and Pastor, Pastor Ross was talking about that. He experienced this very thing a couple years ago in the life of one chapel, um, for those of you who know the history of the church, it grew in south, um, south central um, Austin, and it grew really quickly. And a couple years into it, they'd outgrown, they're doing multiple services, and, and, uh, and so everything inside of Ross, the, how he was wired, coming from a mega church in Colorado Springs, they just, just keep looking for something bigger, something better. And so his thinking was, let's, let's, let's move locations, we can get someplace in Westlake, it's not that far away, not, 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 not that many miles away from where they're currently moving. People will follow us, and so let's do that. And so they made that decision. It ended up being a really bad decision, um, where Ross will speak to it now and say, and say I, I, looking now, his preconceived ideas of church growth and how church works was coming from his new life in Colorado Springs experience, not looking at what was supposed to happen here in Austin not realizing how segmented Austin was because people didn't go from Monterey Oaks to Westlake. People left the church during that time. Church lost a lot of money during that time. And it was for Ross, it was like coming back to Monterey Oaks. It was like putting the tail behind his back leg. It's kind of like a dog does, whimpering back to see if God can somehow redeem the mistake. And thank God that God is a God of second chances. Even when we make mistakes, folks. God can redeem those bad mistakes, and, and uh, we talked about even some of the re redemptive things that happened in that situation, but I'm telling you, this is, this is what it means, is to add faith to your decisions, because sometimes it looks like this is what you're supposed to do, and everybody could be telling you this is what you're supposed to do, but you feel this check in your spirit, and if you don't honor that check... If you don't trust that God is speaking to you, then it can really mess with you, and it could set you back a long time. Let me tell you, God wants to speak to you, and he's speaking to you. And so this inward witness, like I said, probably is the most common way that God will speak to you and lead you. But remember, it's a response. You can't just sit there waiting for something to happen, waiting for God to speak to you. Take a step. Knock on this door, test the waters, check the situation out, give it a little bit of time so you can hear, feel that inward sense inside of you. Yes, the Holy Spirit giving you this inward witness for it, or mm -mm, this is not right. Stop. Something is wrong. 
In the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some more of these common ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and how God speaks to us, and how He leads us. But I want you to just think about this one here this morning. I want you to think about what's talk, what we're talking about here this morning. If you would, I want you to close your eyes, because I don't want you to be thinking about anybody else except for just what's going on in your life. And I want you to think about the decisions that you're being faced with. And I want, to think, I want you to think about your posture, your personal posture in these decisions that are going on in your life. Because do you really want God to direct your steps? You're going to have to settle that question. Do I really want God to direct my steps? Am I really willing to let God direct these steps and these decisions that I have? Am I really willing to let God tell me no in the situation that I'm facing? Am I really willing to let God tell me yes in the situation that I'm facing. Because hearing the voice of God, it all starts with our willingness to surrender everything to God. And I can just tell you right now that it's so hard to hear God's voice and his leading it for your life when you already have your mind made up, when you've already decided when you have some sort of preconceived idea of how things should work and how things should be, some sort of bias or prejudice or opinion that's slanting you in a direction. It's going to be impossible for you to hear those things because your voice can be louder than God's voice. In Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Trust God. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Run to God. Run from evil. And so this morning, what do you need to do to surrender to God? Or what is it that you need to surrender to God? What do you need to let go of to trust God with these decisions that you're facing here? The worship team is just going to lead us and sing, and you can sing along too, or you can just let this kind of soak inside of you. But right where you are, I just want you to address this issue of surrender. What do I need to surrender to God? What do I need to let go? And let that just stir in your heart as the team leads us. Why don't you do something, if you would. Why don't you put your hands in front of you and just look at them. <laughs> you know, our, our instinct, our kind of our, our way of doing things is that the things that we face is that we grip them. If you would just make your hand into a fist. And there's things maybe that you're holding on to tight. Maybe some decisions that you're facing that, you know, you're already gripping them this way. And what I can tell you is that 
If you want to be led by the Spirit of God, if you want to hear God speak to you, then this posture right here, you're going to have a hard time hearing. And so surrender is being able to take what it is that so concerns me and be able to open up my hands and be able to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to put my faith, my hope. I'm not going to just try to do this by myself, but I'm going to let go of that so that you can tell me now what I'm supposed to do so I can hear what it is I'm supposed to do. And so, Father, I pray that for every one of us, that, God, that our posture would be this right here, right now, with our hands open wide, where we are surrendering it our preconceived ideas, where we surrender our opinions, our wishes and our desires, our hopes and our dreams, and we're surrendering that, that pain and the disappointment and those unmet expectations. God, we let those things go. We open up. We surrender these things to you so that, God, you could then direct our steps. Father, I thank you that you want to lead us as sons and daughters of yours, you want to lead us and that you're speaking to us and you, you want to guide us and counsel us, instruct us, and you want us to, to, to intervene in those, those silly, stupid decisions that we make to keep us from harm and causing pain. And, and so, Father, I pray for everyone here that's facing different decisions in their life, that God, that something would happen even here in this moment, that God, that faith would arise inside of us, this confidence that you will, as we take a step forward, as we slowly move forward in something, look, as we'll look for that yes and we'll look for that no, that that spiritual urim and thum would work inside of us that we could know what it is that we're supposed to do. And so, Father, I pray for every one of us that that would be an action point as we go forward this week and all the different decisions that we need to make this week that we would not be those who are hasty in making decisions, but we would give you room to be able to respond to what it is that we're thinking, what it is that we're planning, what it is that we're doing. And so, Father, I pray for the grace on these men and women to be able to do that this week. And, Lord, I thank you that you're going to meet them right there. We're going to have people up front here. We do this every Sunday at the end of service that are just here to pray with you. You may be facing things that you want somebody to agree with you in prayer. Let me just say, sometimes you don't know how to pray. Sometimes you don't feel like you have the faith to pray. And this is why I need people to surround you to pray with you. These men and women will be up front just here. They'll just linger here so you can take as much time. And they'll be here to pray with you and through whatever it is that you are facing. Let me just speak a blessing over you as we leave here this morning. So may the Lord bless you. And may the Lord keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift his countenance upon you and now give you peace. God bless you, everyone. Have an amazing week, faith-filled week this week. God bless you. Have a great week.